Welcome to episode 184 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I've written before about extrovert privilege because I believe having the ability to engage with the world with greater frequency and gusto has undeniable benefits. But does being an outgoing expert help me when it comes to selling? Turns out, not really. And this on the surface might seem surprising since we're known for being sociable, expressive, and assertive. Ah, but those are not the qualities of a great salesperson. Before I dig into that a bit more, let me expand the definition of sales because in this case, I don't just mean traditional selling. I mean moving people, also known as non-sales selling. That is how Daniel Pink describes it in To Sell is Human, The Surprising Truth About Moving Others. He wrote, But all of you are likely spending more time than you realize selling in a broader sense, pitching colleagues, persuading funders, cajoling kids. Like it or not, we're all in sales now. Okay, so back to how being an extrovert isn't a benefit when it comes to selling. In fact, across 35 studies, the correlation between extroversion and sales performance was a minuscule 7%. What's going on here? Well, it's those qualities of being sociable, expressive, and assertive. Extroverts, in other words, often stumble over themselves They can talk too much and listen too little, which dulls their understanding of others' perspectives. They can fail to strike the proper balance between asserting and holding back, which can be read as pushy and drive people away. As some have noted, introverts are geared to inspect, while extroverts are geared to respond. Selling of any sort, whether traditional sales or non-sale selling, requires a delicate balance of inspecting and responding. Ambiverts can find that balance. They know when to speak up and when to shut up. Ah, yes, ambiverts. A few of us are extroverts. A few of us are introverts. But most of us are ambiverts, sitting near the middle, not the edges, happily attuned to those around us. In some sense, we are born to sell. Your challenge this week. If you're not an outgoing extrovert, you may have thought that your personality was holding you back from building your business or persuading colleagues. Not so. If, like me, you are that outgoing extrovert, you may want to take a page from our more ambiverted friends. Knowing how to listen and ask questions is a critical skill for anyone who wants to move people. As Pink said, the lesson here is critical. The purpose of a pitch isn't necessarily to move others immediately to adopt your idea. The purpose is to offer something so compelling that it begins a conversation brings the other person in as a participant, and eventually arrives at an outcome that appeals to both of you. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest is a wellness leader who is known as a beacon of authentic happiness. A two-time cancer survivor, she's passionate about waking people up to the precious gift of time. Her mission is to inspire people to move more and fear less, helping them stretch their dreams, 
strengthen their courage muscle, and build an inspired life full of joy and gratitude. She's a speaker, author, mindset coach, podcast host, and DJ. As a keynote speaker, she inspires people around the globe to stand up for their lives and live profoundly from their hearts. Her work is rooted in the science of positive psychology, and she coaches individuals and teams on how to get unstuck to become unstoppable. She's the author of The Perfection Detox, Tame Your Inner Critic, Live Bravely, and Unleash Your Joy, and host of The Perfection Detox Podcast. Please join me in welcoming Petra Kolber. Robbie, thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Petra, I have to say, I have never felt before like I was introducing someone into a stadium of fans, but that is the energy that I get from you. (laughs) Thank you for joining us from your office in New York City. It is so wonderful to have you here. And as you know, this is a show about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Hmm. I define leadership as anyone who can see the potential in others before the other can see it and has the skills and uh, methods and heart and grace to coach them into their potential. That to me is a leader. And that could be anyone. That could be the person next door. That could be the CEO, you know, the C-suite. I Yes, like I'm British, so we have we have a hard time finding the the you know the bright stuff in ourselves. But what happened for me, Robbie, is I for many years was presenting around the world in the fitness world. I would never have considered myself a leader at that point. I saw myself as a fitness person, but. After all my events, people would come up and say, oh, I feel so inspired by you. And so what I realized through my teaching of fitness at the time, Robbie, I was a leader because I spoke to their highest good. I saw the potential in them. And I guess I used language that allowed them to believe the potential in themselves through movement. And that's now moved into more speaking and writing. Wow. First of all, I love that definition seeing the potential in others and helping them then see it and act on it because a lot of times that potential is there, but it's not yet been discovered. And so many of us, you know, walk around with like an imposter syndrome. So we wouldn't even dare to, to dream our way into the, the most we could do with our lives. And thank you for touching on your history uh, because it's not mentioned in your intro there, but it is who you are. And, and I love that, that in the way the leadership that you showed in that space, in that industry, it wasn't because you were trying to be a leader. You'd had a message to share. And there really isn't much difference between who you are today and having a message to share. Is that true? Yeah. And I think, you know, you brought that up. I don't mention that in many of my bios. And now a lot of what I'm talking about, I'm like, girl, you've got 25 years experience in this. I'm talking about burnout and wellness and mental wellness. You can't have that without physical wellness. And I think at first I wanted to separate myself from the world that I grew up in because sometimes the world that you grow up in grow up in, they don't necessarily see you as the new version of you. So as I was moving into an author and a keynote speaker, I really think I, it's a bit of a strong word, I kind of severed my relationship with that world. And now I'm going, well, that was crazy because I love these people. And so I'm bringing more of that world into what I'm doing now, because whether it's your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health, to be a great leader, And to lead yourself and a team, whether that team is you and your daughter or you and your best friends or you and a team of 10, 100, whatever, 
you, you have to take care of all of you. So I'm, now I'm seeing that all of my history, even though I didn't see myself as a leader at, the, at that time, all of our stories and our learnings become who we are today and help us package the best you know, version of ourself today. That's based on our hits and our misses and our imposter syndrome of the past. Yeah, gosh. Okay, I'm going to really want to dig into that again. But before I do, I want you to go back a little further and thinking about leadership, thinking about who you were as a kid, thinking about where you were in in grade school, in high school. Uh, you know, were you the kid who sort of like got everyone together to do stuff? Were you the quiet kid in the corner? Was there someone who saw leadership potential in you or someone that you looked up to as a leader and you're like, that's how I, I, I really admire that person. I don't know what that quality even is, but I like that. Like, what was life like, you know, before you went off to, to do, you know, world domination? <laughs> That's such a great question. Um, yeah, no, growing, I grew up in a little town near Liverpool. It wasn't Liverpool, but it was close to that. And you are certainly not uh, looked upon as a leader. That is not it's almost frowned upon. It's like, don't get too big for your britches. Who do you think you are? So the idea of even, you know, I believe that we lead alongside people. We're not above. It's not, you know, we're all the same. We just have different skill sets. But in the UK, in, the, in that time, you were not brought up to highlight the good of you. It, was see, it seemed very egocentric. So if anything, oh, I remember when I first saw like, oh, I want to be like that. It was the first time I met Americans. <laughs> I was a dancer. This is going way back. I was a dancer and I was working in South Africa at a big job. And all my past experiences have been around other Brits or fellow Europeans. And then I was working, I think I was like one of three dancers around 25 Americans. I was like, I don't know who you are, but you are magical unicorns. Because here are these guys going, we can do anything, we can go for it. And they really meant it. And it wasn't at the expense. This is the big thing, Robbie. It wasn't, I can be great at the expense of your greatness. And I was like, I don't know who these Americans are, but I like it. And it really was, that was the first time I saw that there could be a different, not a different version of you. I want to even say greater version of you, but a truer version of you. And the truer you are to yourself, the more you can inspire others. So I'd say my leadership journey began when I first met an American. Being an American, I am, I'm like, yeah, that's a great story. <laughs> you know, Petra, one of the things you're pointing out is how strong those like family of origin uh, cultural cues are in the messages that we get about ourselves and how we're supposed to perceive ourselves, which could actually make a leadership journey uncomfortable. What was it like as you started to be noticed and be seen, even if you didn't yet think of yourself as a leader, but you were, you weren't hiding yourself. You were stepping out. What was that journey like? Yeah. I think the first time others saw me is, I think sometimes people, other people have to see you before you see yourself. So, you know, look, I had Reebok, this incredible, huge multi-million dollar company go, we want you. We're going to put you to under a contract that ended up being 10 years. And they flew me around the world. And I was, I was leading groups of thousands of people all over the world. And at that point, I never really thought of it because it was such a joy and a passion. And it was just a brilliant time. And then what happened, Robbie, it was, I suddenly got coined as a fitness expert. 
which to me is like, oh, leader. And one of my Achilles heels growing up was I was told by some of my role models, you're never going to be smart enough, good enough. And so when I suddenly saw others calling me a fitness expert, my imposter syndrome ramped up because all I could remember was those old stories going, well, who are you to be thinking that you're worthy of being an expert? I never put that on myself. No one ever told me that you need to know everything to be able to share knowledge that inspires others. But you're so right, Robbie. Those tapes run deep and, you know, it's still work I work on today. Hence, I wrote the book, The Perfection Detox, because, you know, you this is not work, I think. It's like a muscle. You know, I'm in the fit, I was in the fitness world for so many years. If you don't use the muscle, it gets weak and it gets, you know, it atrophies. And this is just like your confidence and your self-worth. If you don't work it in a healthy way daily, that imposter syndrome will rear its head because the more you stretch yourself and the more you go for your dreams, just different excuses, different objections, you know, to yourself will come up. And the bigger the risk, the more we have to work the work of making friends with all parts of ourselves, the parts of ourselves that question who we are, the parts of ourselves that know deeply who we are. And I think it's bringing all of those parts together. And we can do that in a graceful way. That's when we have the courage and the confidence to see leadership in others without feeling like, oh, I don't want to bring out their leadership too much because then what does that say about my leadership? So the more confident we can be in ourselves, the more we can bring everybody up together without comparing who we are, you know, our backstory to everyone else's highlight reel. Mm, right. Highlight reel. This is a lot about what we see on social media, right? It's the highlight reel. Just to echo that last part of what you, what you said. So I am really curious. I'm going to go a little granular here again. How did you get into the fitness world? Like, how did that become your thing? And you were in it for a while. I mean, this was like your career. This was like a thing. Yeah, this is a, I'm trying to keep this a short story because there. this is a lot of luck is preparation meeting opportunity. So I kind of came up the ranks. If you looked at it from the outside in very, very quickly, I was a dancer. I was moving to New York City and I also knew enough to know that being a great dancer in Miami might not mean being a great dancer in New York City. Thank goodness. So I had done this thing called aerobics and I had no idea what it was. I kind of poo-pooed it like, I'm a dancer. I don't do fitness. But luckily I did. And I took this thing called a step certification and never thinking I was going to do anything with it, with it, Robbie. And I moved up to New York and I did my first audition for Broadway. And I was like, hmm, I'm not quite as good as I thought I was. <laughs> I, I can't sing. I'm not a gymnast. And very quickly, I was like, I need, I, you know, we often say don't have a plan B. In this case, it was really good that I had a plan B. And I was like, I'm not going to be the dancer that I want to be. And because of my dance background, my English accent, I got into the boutique studios in the day. This was like before boutiques of today, you know, the boutiques came out, they were closed down by the big box gyms and now they're, you know, now competing again. So I came up very, very quickly. I was the new kid on the block in New York City. I was probably teaching here for about a year. And at that time, Reebok was looking for a new face to host a new VHS. This is aging me now. Then latest VHS workout is with Nancy Carrigan. And it was just when she'd gotten hit on the knee by Tanya. Yeah, it's like, oh my God, hand to forehead. It was right around then. It was her and two other Olympic athletes. And it was called the Winning Body Workout. 
And they said, submit a tape, whatever. So like thousands of instructors around the country submitted their tape. Backtrack six months before that, Robbie, I had created a class in New York with drummers. It was a step class to live drummers. There's a long backstory to how I came about it. I called it London Beat. It was like a rock concert. You couldn't get into this class. I didn't know what I was doing, Robbie, but it was that magic moment. You know, it's that magic super sauce. Right place, right moment, right time. So it's getting written up in press and all of this stuff. So that was the class I put on the VHS tape and sent to Reebok. And I think it was, this is different. We don't know who this girl is. She's not a name. And so they put me under contract and I was the guest star for that VHS tape. And I was flown to, oh my gosh, um, LA. And these are, this was back in the day when it was like a million dollar shoot. They shot on film. It took 10 days. And now it's like, you know, you're lucky if you get a thousand dollar shoot. It was on your iPhone, you know, quick down and dirty. But that's kind of how I got into fitness. And I'd say from the outside looking in, this is like the overnight success, right? So while she came up very quickly, she was lucky. But you know what? I was getting up every day. I was trading my pay to pay the drummers so they could come and do the class. I would fly the drummers down to do conventions with me. I was losing money. I couldn't pay my rent at the time to pay the drummers. So there was something in me, this drive that I didn't realize how driven I was. And it was with no agenda other than I wanted to create something different in this world of fitness. And luckily Reebok got a caught an eye on it and the rest was history. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, it also sounds like people were involved in all of that. And at, at some point though, you decided to, to shift gears to focus on speaking and writing and and make that. How long ago was that that you that made was that about shift? Five five years. There was two parts to that, Robbie. I had um, been in a relationship that I thought was forever. That suddenly wasn't forever. So I was like, uh oh. So I came back to New York after kind of putting my career on hold. I had stepped off the fitness stage at the highlight of my career. I was making great money at the time, but I wanted to be home on weekends. So I, you know, this is my own choice. I kind of really stepped off. And so when I was back in New York single again, I needed to reinvent myself. I had two choices. Do I go back to what I know or do I go back to something different? And I was turning, I was just, oh, just turned 50 at the time. And what I knew for sure is that I didn't want to be the oldest one on stage sweating for dollars anymore. I didn't want to be doing burpees, you know? There, are other, <laughs> there were other people that could do burpees way better than me. And so I was like, okay, this is the time. I'd gone back to school for positive psychology. And I was like, I think there's a different way of bringing a message both into the fitness world and outside of the fitness world. And one thing I had seen through my ex was there were a lot of dollars out there for speakers and authors, but the fitness world was paying people who were not in the fitness world the big bucks. So I kind of thought, well, maybe I need to step out of the world that I grew up in, go and establish myself somewhere else, and then come back to the world that I love as a speaker and a thought leader and as a, as a reinvented or version 2.0 Petra. And that's kind of what I did. Mm. You know, one of the things that I'm noticing here, Petra, is that even though I wouldn't say that you always have a plan B because you don't think plan A is going to work, but you are constantly educating yourself and giving yourself more avenues for success, I guess I would say. So like earlier in your career, 
like doing that step class, right? And learning about the aerobics and getting certified. And then here, positive psychology caught your interest. You, you didn't just read about it, you dove in, right? And you got certified so that that could become a next step. Is that true for how you've thought about your career? Mm, great question. I think all these instances, it was never really as a plan B. It was out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. So even with step, I was like, I had taken a class like, oh, this is fun. This is the first time I felt like fitness could be fun. And so let me just go and see what this is. And I wanted to stay fit as a dancer, never thinking, ever thinking, Robbie, it was going to be my career. And even like a really a stronger, more lucrative career than I ever had as a dancer. And then with positive psychology, that again was my own exploration. I'd always felt that there was something beautiful in the fitness industry that we had been missing. And it wasn't until I discovered positive psychology that I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. And out of curiosity, I thought, let me just go and see more of what this research is. And through that, I thought now when I needed a plan B, how can I apply that latest research that I think is so applicable to everybody I know and then bring it into the world that knows me because that's the quick, quickest way to get back on track and back into making money. And then also how can I influence and inspire people who really don't have an interest in the fitness world in that deep way? So how did, how did you make that shift? Like, were there people that were in that speaking, writing world that sort of showed you the way you said your ex gave you some insight into it, but you know, you're in New York city surrounded by, you know, a gazillion people. How did you find this new network of people? I mean, you had your network, but your network was like a fitness people, right? Not authors and speakers. How did you start to find your new peers? Yeah, I was lucky. I were not. I think the first thing is I had to suck up my ego, and because I was always the fitness expert, I was always the one. People's like, "Oh, Pedro, can I come in and pick your brain? Can I come in and sit?" I was the host of the influence network per se, and here I was in New York, going, "I love my peeps. I have a great surrounding of strong advocates for me." But they don't know what I need to know to get to the next step. So my book agent was a big help. And then I, a dear mutual friend of ours, Dory Clark, I really would say she was the catalyst in introducing me to incredible people that wanted nothing from me but to help me. And from that, I just... I learned to say, I don't know. I learned to say, how did you do this? And I was lucky enough to be around such mostly women, a few men, but incredible women. Jenny Blake was another one who were just so generous with not only their time, their information, but their own network and welcomed me with open arms to their um, the people that they knew. You, I mean, I met you through Dory. So... It was just, first of all, saying, I don't know, I need help. And then trying to see how could I be of service to these incredible people. You know, with Dory, I helped her do some filming because that was a skill set of mine. Um, you know, I just try, how can I help these people? In it? And none of them asked for help. That's the thing. That's the Brit in me, right? I never want to take more than I can give. So, but I was lucky. I, I would say Dory Clark was a huge part of this journey. And then by going to other events, which I'm an introvert, which is really painful for me to basically network. I hate that word. This is why I love your show. Um, I learned so much from it, but it's relationship building. And it's just being surrounded by people who lift you up and then you in turn can help them in ways that you never expect you can at the time. Well, okay. 
a couple of things here. One is I attribute um, basically everything good in my life is because I married well. Everything good about my business is because of Dory Clark. That's a good so, mix. That's a good partnership. Seriously, I have the two best women in the, in the world rooting for me. Um, so I would love to hear, how did you get to meet? And I mean, you're, you guys are very good friends. Jenny Blake's another good friend of yours. These are two women that, that have stellar reputations on their own, amazing networks of really giving and abundant people. I mean, you fell into the right place. But how, I mean, how did that come about? Because, you know, it, you have to get on her radar. And then I want to talk about the whole introvert thing and, and relationship building. But I think you're kind of already going there. Yeah, well, we had met through a past life, you know, so, and through that past life, I just reached out to her and she was so generous and we met, I think she invited, oh, she knew I was writing a book and so she invited me to one of her office dinners and I actually write about it in the Perfection Detox because talk about imposter syndrome. I write about this, it was, the, it was a hot, stinky, sweaty summer day in New York. I was still recovering from like who I was and to who I wanted to be. And she had one of her author dinners and she said, you got to come. And I'm like, well, I'm not an author yet. She goes, you're writing a book. You're an author. I said, yeah, but I'm not. She was like, just come. They will love you. And that's how it all started. And then from there I met, oh my God, Jason Van Orden was there. Um, I can't even remember now who I met at that particular dinner. And then we just connect on a heart level, right? It's not really what you do. It's like, do I connect heart to heart? Do I resonate with this person? Their, you know, the story behind what they're do, what they do. It's this idea of who we are versus what is on our, our business card. And I will, I will never forget, I haven't had a panic attack in years. And I think I almost had one walking into that restaurant. And just Dory has this way of making everybody feel seen, feel heard, and feeling validated. And I, you know, I think it was the universe going, girl, you're back in New York. We're going to take care of you. We've got your back. Do the work. But don't worry about the house. We'll take care of that. But show up every day. You know, treat New York well, and it will, it will treat you well too. You know, I have this exercise that I do with my coaching clients um, who tend to be entrepreneurial women in their, you know, late 40s to 60s and beyond. And they're, you know, kind of like you were like starting something new, you know, leaving an old industry and making a big shift. And uh, the exercise is to make a list of 100 people that would recognize your name. And if you heard from them out of the blue, you'd be happy to hear from them. And then the third criteria is for you, it would be that they're in this new space that you want to be in, that they are adjacent to or in the, wherever you're heading. And essentially, Dory was that person, right? It's like you reached out and this, this in itself is the thing that a lot of people don't do. They're like sitting on amazing resource of a network that you've developed, like you said, from a past life, from decades ago even. And yet it's so easy to rekindle those connections much easier than starting from scratch. Yeah. And I think for those people listening, because 45 to 65, that's my sweet spot, people. I think sometimes they're like, oh, I was that, but now I'm this. And what does that life bring to this? And I've got several stories, Robbie, incredible stories. Ali Brown being one of them, who does Glambition Radio, who is like a big hero of mine. And I reached out to so many people when my book came out. And Ali got back to me, her and many others. She goes, oh, yes, I remember you. You had coffee with me in the early 90s when I reached out to you 
because you were the fitness expert and I didn't know how to get started. She dabbled in fitness for like all of a nanosecond before she became this huge multimillionaire. And you just don't know when your past life will come back in such a meaningful and powerful way. And it's so many relationships I had, um, Robbie, that I didn't know them, but they had my VHS tapes. Even Kelly McGonigal, who just wrote The Joy of Movement, I was reaching out to her. She goes, oh yeah, I had your Sweat Factory VHS tape. When I was doing my PhD, I used to work out to you every morning. Who knew? You know? So I think sometimes, especially as women, and to the guys listening out there too, we think that as we are reinventing ourselves, that our past has got nothing to do with who we are. Couldn't be anything further from the truth. The strengths of your past, when you bring them into your this version of you, are only going to enhance. And like you said before, so many relationships that we think were from that job or that career, there's so many crossovers. So yeah, just stay open, stay connected. Don't burn your bridges. That is one thing. Never, never burn a bridge because you never know who you're going to meet down the road. Or who's going to be like watching your VHS tape and then 20 years <laughs> later suddenly be like, they're odd to meet you. And you're like, oh, really? Because I was nervous to make this phone call. I know. Crazy. <laughs> it, but that's just it. I mean, you said earlier uh, about being an introvert. So, you know, you recharge, I'm presuming then at home, not mm-hmm. in crowds. And so going to a networking event is like the antithesis of a good time for you. And yet you're demonstrating, you're offering stories and illustrations of building authentic relationships, even reconnecting with folks from five and 10 and 20 years ago. And that all is part of your leadership journey and all part of your success in this new industry that you're in. So how would you, how would you say you are around relationship building then? I mean, it seems like that's something you've, you've really got, you figured it out. Is it something that you were taught? Like, why are you comfortable reaching out to someone from, you know, so many years ago? Oh, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. It's never comfortable. But I think one thing I always try and do is how can I make this a give versus an ask? What can I offer before getting? And even going into the more social situations, which is even more terrifying to me, Robbie, it's like, you know, because we that imposter, like, who am I to belong in this room? Or we all want to sit at the table, but as this table gets bigger and you're, you know, the people are at that table are more influential, that inner critic will come up. And so I think for me, what helps me, and it might help someone listening, is it's never about what I can get. I'm not going to go into any room like, ooh, who can I meet? What can I get? What what connection can I get? Because that just sets me up in such a bad mindset. It's it's never good for me. It moves me into my fight, flight, or freeze response. But if I go take a deep breath before I open that door, what can I bring into this room? Can I bring my light? Can I make someone in this room feel less alone? Because I got to think I'm not the only person that feels this way. And by doing that, it just takes off that cap of anxiety. And it's that whole thing that we're all human. We all suffer from the idea that most of us in this room probably don't think we belong in some way. So for me, it's always about what can I give? What can I bring versus what can I get? That is so perfect. And I love actually that you talk about it not being easy and how you have to mentally walk through that before you open the door. But I I think that's something that most people aren't doing. You know, um, I just recently released a TEDx around uh, my my big tip around croissants 
uh, versus bagels, which people can listen to at robbysamuels.com forward slash TEDx. It's awesome, by the way. I got <laughs> lucky enough to see your dress rehearsal. It was it's awesome. True. So, um, but the reason I wanted to do that talk was because people do go to these major events. They fly across the country and they, they say, I mean, the studies show that people are going because of networking. Like that is a, a top driver for why people choose to go. But people at the actual event don't network. They don't talk to people they don't know. They cluster. Um, they, they avoid the opportunities to engage. No matter how good an event is about creating those spaces. And so that's a real disconnect. And I think the disconnect is in intentionality. And that what you're doing is you're stopping and you're setting some intentionality around why am I here? What value can I bring? How can I help someone else feel more present? You know, how can I help someone else feel more welcomed and like they belong? And that centers you. And then you're clearly then going to make better connections, right? Rather than just kind of like darting in, suffering for an hour, and then like darting back out, being like, oh, you know, I did it. I did it. I went to an event. But that's yeah. a big shift. That's not something that most people are doing. Yeah. And it's still, I think the thing we all have to remember are feelings are not facts, right? So this feeling of discomfort, the feeling like we're the only one that doesn't belong in the room. That's not the truth. That's just our thought. That's just our old tapes coming up. So when we can reframe what what's making us feel that way, like, oh, you know what? No one, look, <laughs> another thing, Robbie, my mom said when she was alive, and this is something we can all think of. When we walk into the room, we're often thinking, who am I to belong here? Bottom line is no one cares. Everyone's so busy worrying about themselves and positioning themselves. No one gives a thought. Even if we go up, this is what I've realized. I sometimes, and I still do this. I go and I say something stupid, you know, and the, uh, the younger me would have gone home and like beating myself up for like two months. Like, you're such an idiot. They're going to worry about you. And look, by the time I've left that conversation, they've forgotten who I am. So it's going in, looking I don't like the word networking. So it's like, how can I make new connections, new female friends? You know, in a, you know, I live in New York City. How can I help others? And look, I still give myself that time limit. I'll go when, I, when it's local. I'll say, give yourself an hour. Because I'm really good at being at home watching Netflix all night. But what is the choice that's going to help my future self? And that's what I do. I give you, give myself an hour. And if I'm still miserable, I'll leave. And it's not the end of the world. So it's like, you know, an hour, 15 minutes total. But more often than not, I will have struck, I'll strike up a conversation with someone that's so unexpected and so beautiful. And like you now, I have a podcast, so nothing else. I have a great sign of vehicle to say, oh yeah, you know, I have a podcast because people love to talk about themselves. So again, it's just shining the light on others and then, you know, you'll find the connections that you're meant to have and then just don't force the ones that don't feel comfortable. My mother, um, I've told this story before. My mother, when I was 12, uh, told me something that was very devastating to a 12-year-old, but it's, it's pretty freeing as an adult. Uh, she said, you're only the main character in your own play. Ooh, your mom and my mom should get together because <laughs> they're reading the same book. I mean, it's true though, right? Yeah, like, I mean, it's totally. in our heads and it takes effort to get on someone else's stage. And our best friends are never going to leave our stage, but they didn't start out as best friends. They started out as strangers. Like it all, it's an evolution. Um, I, I love this piece about giving yourself an hour, you know, because I, I've actually said this to a lot of most of my clients, a majority of them probably lean introverted. I'm, I'm an outgoing extrovert, like to the extreme. 
but I really have a lot of compassion and empathy for the folks who are not having the privilege that I have around being out in the world and getting energy from the world. But I'm like, if you could go in and do an hour and leave feeling like you've accomplished your goals, how would that feel? And they're like, that would be great. But so much of that, honestly, is pre-planning. It's, it's about choosing the right events, right? Knowing why you're going and, and having that intentionality. Yeah, I think it's pre-planning and then recognize that even if you go to the event and you don't meet anyone, that's not a fail. You've already strengthened your courage muscle for the next event because the more we back out of doing this stuff, it becomes the habit. So it's that habit of feeling you know, there's that saying, right? Everything happens outside of your comfort zone, which really sucks, but it's the truth. And so this is not just about the event. It's about your best future self as a leader. And so each time that you can step into something that is uncomfortable without any expectations, it's even if you feel going home, God, that was a bust. That was a waste of an hour. The fact that you got up, you got out, you opened that door, you stepped into the room, that's building your courage and your confidence muscle that's going to serve you in a very unexpected and beautiful way down the road. God, that is so good. You should write a book. Oh, wait, that's, that's what you did. The link will be in the show notes, folks, if you want the rest of it. So, so speaking of though, Petra, uh, you know, this is one of my favorite questions. If we're reconnecting a year from now, and, and I am grateful that I know I'll see you again, because I go, to, I go to New York, and whenever I'm in New York, you know this, I host dinners and brunches. Uh, Jason Van Orden actually was at both my dinner and my brunch last time I was there. He's such a great he guy. He was local and he was free. So he came, came to everything. And he's a huge introvert. Yeah. Even more so than I am. So again, this is just making ourselves uncomfortable. And the I will say Dory's a big introvert too. And this uh, dinner model, I will just take a minute and say this dinner model that she did, she moved to New York City and she hosted two dinners a month for for a couple of years at least. And that's how she developed a network. She didn't go to five events a week, which is what a lot of us would have thought to do. She was strategic and built a strong network that way. I mean, this is a much easier to go in and talk to nine other people, knowing maybe the host, than a room for 50 people <laughs> knowing nobody, right? Like that's daunting. Even to me, I would much rather, which is why I love hosting dinners. Um, so Whenever I'm in town, I, I will look to see you. And my question is, if we're connecting a year from now and we are celebrating all of your successes from the past year, what are we going to be celebrating? What are we going to be toasting? Oh, do I put this out into the universe on Robbie's podcast? Oh my gosh. Well, it's a big one. I think we'll be celebrating a move to the West Coast. Yes. First time I've said that because I'm, I'm contemplating that right now. I'm thinking what's good for my best future self. So I'm thinking of that, Robbie. And then, oh, okay. So this is big. I don't say, I don't, and I gotta be honest, I'm not sure if this is going to happen, but we would be celebrating part B of me then taking a year off to travel the world and write my second book. Wow. Yes. That's, that's huge. What led to that last part? You know, it's so funny you say this because you, you had mentioned before that you always have a plan B, whether you think you do or not. So part of it is curiosity and part of it is a plan B, right? I'm turning 57 this August and there's only so much I can speak on that really lights me up. I speak on leadership really, really well. I speak on confidence really well. I speak to many corporate groups, but where I love to lead is with women 
the same people that you love, like women 45 and beyond. And so what is happening is I'm seeing this gap between the elders of around the world, the wise ones, the, and we feel like we're ignored at 40, right? You're too old. You're over the hill. So part of me is curiosity. I love to travel and I haven't done that in a while. So I would love to travel to like 12 countries, like spend a month in each country. So part of that is selfish. And then part of that is kind of a plan B. What could I do next year to reinvent myself again, to make myself relevant on the stage in a different way? And if I have a book of stories from around the world, from the wise women, I can get on any bloody stage, <laughs> you know, because there's my next evolution. Someone who in her late 50s is finding out from the mystics and the magicians and the elders. And the one thing that will stop me, I'll just say it here, is fear. Uh, that's it. I'm like, it's fear of, do I get, will I get sick? What about the money? All, and you know, it's stuff that I can figure out. As Marie Forleo says, everything is figurable. So that's where, if we that we'd be toasting double-fisted champagne to that if I say yes and yes. Say yes and say yes, and then we'll have to have you come back and talk about it. That's a, that's a beautiful dream. And I think, like you said, you're, you're good at following your curiosity, following your passion, but then going beyond that and thinking about, well, how do I then bring that to other people in a way that adds value? that people would want to pay to hear it. So it's not yeah. just like curiosity for curiosity's sake, but you're like, I'll do this. And it may, it may lead, I mean, it's not like the reason to do it, but it could lead somewhere. And that's open. So by the way, where in West Coast are you thinking about? Is there like a destination? Well, LA, my friends, all, I mean, I have a good lot, you know, my fitness community that I've known for like 30 plus years, they're all there. So it'd be somewhere near the ocean. I don't know if it'd be San Diego or Santa Monica. And I've lived in LA before. I lived in LA for 10 years. It would definitely be near the water. Just how far south I go, I, I don't know yet. But you're, you're laying it out there and now you're saying it out loud. So. The funny thing is I have my new lease right here, whether I have to, and I have to tell them when they're, when I'm leaving, I can't, I'm, sharing, I'm way oversharing in your podcast, Robbie, but this is what, how it happens, right? You start thinking about it and you start declaring it and then you start owning it and then you yes. start amplifying it. And this is where we start. So that's how it starts. So hopefully for those of you listening right now with that dream, you're not sure about declare it to Robbie next time you coach with him or the next time you write him a note and, you know, rate his podcast on iTunes, say, I declare this dream. And then I'll meet you in Bali somewhere. and We can talk about how we're all doing. I love this. I love this. So, so Petra, how can people find you and follow your work? Uh, you can find me at my website, Petra Kolber, P-E-T-R-A-K-O-L-B-E-R.com. And then on social, I'm most active on Facebook and Instagram, which is Petra Kolber. Fantastic. We will have all those links in the show notes, as well as your book. And we'll have and your podcast link as well. And we'll have that all there at ontheschmooze.com. Petra, thank you so much for joining us. This has been just really fun. Oh, thank you for asking such great questions. You were right. You asked me questions no one else had asked me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Petra. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 184. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as nearly 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. 
Are you convinced that we're all in sales? I am, after reading To Sell as Human by Daniel Pink. I'm committed to reading at least two books a month in 2020. What other business books should I put on my reading list? Send me an email with your favorites, Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. If you enjoy this episode with Petra, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and I look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another town professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.